uh, he's more. So in doing so, there's a couple of groups of people that I, that I want to talk to and I want to address this morning. First group of people, you do not have a heavenly father. If that's you, I'd like to introduce you this morning to the only awesome, perfect father ever. I want to invite you into his family. It's my family, but don't let that uh, hesitate you from jumping in on this. Uh, I want to be in your family, sure, but I, I want you to be brothers and sisters with me in Christ. As you begin in God's family, you being in that, it is possible. I, I know I, I've been at times where you're sitting and you may think, no, it's not me though, not me. I want you to keep listening this morning. It's not up to, it's not up to us. It's not up to you. It's not up to me. It's up to the most gracious and faithful, the most merciful and loving heavenly father ever. So and I, I want you to desperately to know him. All right, second group of people that I want to talk to this morning is those of you who have a heavenly father. You're in God's family. You're no doubt in a varying degrees of knowing him, of enjoying him, having freedom in him, understanding and basking in the deep love that he has for you. Cards on the table, I'm addressing all of you this morning. So one way or another, no matter how good or bad your earthly father is or was, truly no matter, your heavenly father is good and better than your earthly father. Your heavenly father is great in everything you need. One of Jesus' goals, his tasks, who he is, is to provide children for God the Father. So Jesus created these children for the Father. And when these children, me, rejected the Father, Jesus was willing to save God's children. Save is a big word, and we're going to talk about that. But for now, I want you to know that all Jesus did, all that he went through, he did for his Father. And what his Father wanted in all of that was you. Maybe you have a longing for a different family situation. Maybe you need deliverance from something. Jesus is the one who will fulfill those needs and that longing. The writer, the preacher here in Hebrews, this book that we have, is writing, speaking originally to Jewish Christians outside of Palestine, probably in Italy, uh, maybe in the mid-60s AD. Hebrews 2, 1 through 18. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, distributing according to his will. Now, it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It, it has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection, un, subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory in honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he's not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, 
I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of these, of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it's not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The overarching concept of this text is salvation. But since the concept can have some, needs some nuance and the term can be misunderstood, let's break it down. I have one point basically for you today. However, it has a back and forth dynamic and some sub points. So I want to clearly set your sights and your expectations on this. But the point that we'll consider this morning from this text in Hebrews 2, we're going to look at what we need and how Jesus fulfilled and or fulfills that need. The four sub points. We need deliverance. We need a new family. We need a faithful high priest, and we need a merciful high priest. First, we need deliverance. We need salvation. It's the biblical and the theological term, but I mentioned that it might have some baggage with it. So it might be even that it has some mistaken connotations. So we're going to use the word deliverance. That also checks the boxes as well, and it shows up in our text in verse 15. So who and or what do we need to be delivered from? There are three, death, the devil, and slavery. Verses 14 and 15. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. Now, I'm going to stop for a second. When Jesus came to earth, we call that his incarnation. Uh, he became man, took on flesh and, and blood. Uh, that through death, he goes on, he might destroy the one who has power of death, that is the devil, right? Then down to verse 15, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Outside of Jesus, you are enslaved. Ultimately, that is the ongoing, though weakened, power of the devil and sin, the fall of Adam and Eve bringing sin into the world. So that original sin, which is now our disposition without Jesus, is bondage. It's slavery. And we obey that master, that sin, without the Holy Spirit at work in us. Anyone in slavery wants deliverance. It's, we're desperate for deliverance. But sometimes what holds power over us can be deceptively appealing for a time, right? I know, I know you know this. I know you felt this. I have a particularly addictive personality. I can't speak for everyone. I've talked to a lot of people. I know that I'm not alone in this. And even if you don't feel like you struggle uh, with specific addictions, it does not mean that you'll never find yourself addicted, falling into idolatry, or to slavery that we're talking about this morning. I think we all fall into this camp in some way, shape, or form. It's the longing of our hearts. We were created to worship, to give affection, to give reverence, to give focus, to give our lives. Originally, as God created us, our object of worship was to be Him. But now with sin, 
we've lost that focus. But we still want to worship. And so we may worship pride or power, the idea of control. We worship relationships that they might bring us fulfillment. Maybe you worship work or money or pleasure. Maybe you think wisdom or spirituality are the ultimate. Maybe you're hoping for immortality. We want to worship, but what we long for can be our master. We need to be delivered from all the wrong things, even the ones that seem good that can destroy us if we give ourselves to those things instead of our better and perfect father. Now, there is deliverance that we're looking forward to in this text, but there's also a caution. First, it says that there will be judgment. Verse 2, every transgression or disobedience received just retribution. So that's punishment for a crime. If it's something that's deemed to be a crime or sin or a wrong, then judgment is going to come from the Heavenly Father. Verse 3 continues, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? So there is salvation. There is deliverance for sin. The caution to us is that there will be judgment. The caution to some of us is that there will be no escape if we neglect Jesus. If you do not have a Heavenly Father, if you don't know him, he does not know you, then you will experience this judgment and you'll be found lacking. There's another caution here. If you claim to have a heavenly father, beware of drifting away. Verse 1, therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. The writer is talking about salvation, about deliverance. Well, how close attention would you say that you're paying to your relationship with Jesus? You know, how close are you from drifting, maybe, neglecting your deliverance. I used to road bike a ton through middle school, high school, and college. Even though I'm not an avid road cyclist anymore, I put myself in those shoes daily, and I watch, and I see more and more people distracted uh, while they're driving. They're on their phones, and I'm sure it's none of you. They're on their phones, they're on their info-tainment, uh, but it's, and it's not safe. It's not safe to be on the road riding around Greenville, right? I had a friend in Seneca. He was a ruling elder at PCA Church, Mike Lee. He was killed on a bike a few years ago by a distracted driver. I mean, you could easily kill someone. You probably had a quick moment where you looked away for a second. I don't want you to be distracted in your driving, but I really don't want you to be distracted in your faith. It's so much more dangerous, forgetting about your deliverance, the ongoing work of your Savior, Jesus Christ. Dismissive, maybe even, of the relationship your Heavenly Father was and is determined to have with you. It's dangerous. This text should be a wake-up call for us. It is a wake-up call for me. I need to wake up. It's serious. More could be said, but let's, let's see if there's a way out. This is the back and forth. So is there a way Jesus fulfilled this need that we have for deliverance? There's hope here in this text for true deliverance. We talked about that. Christ's deliverance was pre-announced. Verse 2, for since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, verse 3 in the middle, it was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. Verse 4. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. From the Old Testament to Jesus in person in the Gospels, showing us on every page this to be true. And then also in the book of Acts, the Trinity is clearly seen to be at work in deliverance. A second way that Jesus fulfilled our need and our Heavenly Father's need for deliverance is that Jesus earned propitiation. It means deliverance. For you, Propitiation is the turning away 
of God's wrath over sin. Verse 17, therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. This is why it's so important to talk about his life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. His perfect life is what earned him the right as perfect sinless man to die for our sins. If he did not live a perfect life, his death would not have earned or done anything for us. Just like if you or me died, it wouldn't merit anyone anything. Then the end of verse 17 says, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Think about propitiation as hiding behind like a metal wall and those bullets cannot touch you. Jesus is shielding us from God's wrath. Or maybe you're at the aquarium this summer. That shark cannot eat you with the glass separating you, right? The glass hold back the weight of that, uh, the, of the water and that flow that would come, the power. And he also holds back some of the natural predators, right? That would be there flopping around. Jesus stands in our place when God poured out his wrath over our sins. All the sin, all the sins of every single Men, man and woman, it, it, all of his children, past, present, and future. Jesus was our wall. He's what turned away, deflected. He enabled us to remain unscathed by the wrath of God. But it did cost him. It cost him his life. God's wrath killed his son. God's wrath over our sin killed Jesus. But spoiler alert, Jesus did not stay dead. He rose. He, here's where the power for you and me for our deliverance comes. Paul Miller, who wrote A Praying Life. A lot of you, I think, have read that. Uh, maybe even this year in our uh, year of exploring prayer, 2023. I encourage you to pick up another one of his excellent books. It's J-Curve, Dying and Rising with Jesus in Everyday Life. If you're on Hoopla from the public library, give it a listen. But simply summarized, it's dying and rising with Jesus. And in that death, it's moving beyond just revisiting or re-experiencing a daily painful death into a daily intentional descent of love with Christ, where in Christ we lose control. We disappear. Mark Reed disappears, and Mark Reed, child of God, brother of Jesus, appears. You may be familiar with Philippians 2. Uh, in that, it talks about Jesus's right. He had rights. He was in the form of God, but he made a choice but he did not hold on to his rights, right, to the detriment of God's will. In his love, he descended, and that's what we do. It's still painful until we see the beauty of it. Jesus had a right. He made a choice, and then we see his love. He took the form of a slave, and then the cost. Jesus humbled himself to death on a cross. The Jesus's power in defeating death is what delivers us from all that would seek to kill us. And Paul Miller would say that's where we are in the hinge of the J curve. So if you're thinking, looking at me, there's a J, right? And so in the death of Christ, and this would be the resurrection of Christ, but in that death, the Apostle Paul is talking about this is the normal Christian life, repeatedly interacting with the dying and rising of Jesus. So death is that downward movement. The upward movement begins the resurrection of Christ. And it happens throughout the day, daily weekly. Hebrews 2, quoting Psalm 8, the end of verse 7, shows Christ's exaltation after humiliation. You've crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Jump down to verse 9. 
But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angel. This is his humiliation, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone, his exaltation. Christ, uh, Paul Miller, has this motion of God's children rising with Jesus up through that J-curve like with Christ-like power, with widening perceptive, with the expansion of the glory of God. So the first point, we need deliverance, and Jesus provides it. Secondly, we need a new family. Family, I don't think I have to go into all the stats for you to know that there is not really an average, a general, a normal family out there anymore. Not, certainly not since the 1950s, and I don't even think there was one then. Uh, but there's a whole lot of different situations out there now. So families, holidays, right? They can be so stressful. Studies show that there are greater degrees of depression and anxiety when we get together with our families of origin. Why? Well, I think track record, right? They generally know a ton about you. Uh, they've got those pictures from uh, middle school, right? If you're in middle school, uh, yeah, good, awesome. You'll, you'll be in high school soon. Uh, bridges, like you've burned bridges as, with families. You just have, right? Advice that you've given lovingly, caringly has not been heeded, right? You're, you're not them and they are not you, and so neither of you like one another's anything sometimes, right? And I think sometimes, too, that we get casual with our family, and so maybe we say things that we might not normally say uh, to other people that aren't in our family, because where, where are they going to go? They're our family, right? The issue is that we're sinful, so it's messy. Everyone's to blame for something, uh, what are we expecting? We need a new and better family. So is there a way in which Jesus fulfills this need that we have for a new family? Well, look at Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. In bringing many sons to glory, verse 11, for he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. Middle of verse 11. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. And then down to verse 13. Behold, I and the children God has given me, down to verse 16. He helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. And we got family all up in here, and it's new, and it's better, and it's radical. And it's based on God's kids knowing their love and faith and hope growing in those. The church is the body of Christ, right? That's our new family. So meet your new brothers and sisters in, in Christ. My, my mom's sister, Marilyn, uh, was one of my favorite people. I was an only child. Uh, during elementary school, I lived a lot of hours away from my grandparents. My aunt Marilyn uh, lived with her parents. She had Down syndrome. Every summer, I would spend at least two weeks with my grandparents and my aunt Marilyn, and some summers longer. But Marilyn, in the world's eyes, had some challenging limitations. But Marilyn was a great family member to me, and I needed a good one. Marilyn was the first person I drove alone with after I got my license in Pennsylvania. We went to Wendy's for a Frosty. Uh, maybe I drove a teensy bit faster than I should, and maybe I had the music on a little bit louder than I should, but she would laugh and giggle the whole time. Marilyn had no choice but to rely on her earthly father, and sometimes her earthly sister, and sometimes when I became her sole legal guardian, her only earthly nephew. Marilyn didn't seek to earn our love, and she sure could shout a no, uh, even after she stopped speaking when I was a teenager. 
But she kept that grin on me for the very, for the last days. And I knew Marilyn loved me. Marilyn's love to me was free and came to me simply because I was in her family. But like Marilyn, when it comes to the Father loving me, there's no boasting of my own work. I have no righteousness that is my own. I'm everything because of my union with Christ in his death and in his resurrection. Mark Reed disappears, and I in Christ flourish. So the first point, we need deliverance that Jesus provides. Second, we need a family, and Jesus provides her too. Thirdly, we need a faithful high priest to help us with temptation. Outside of Jesus, with no heavenly father, what verse 2 tells us is that every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? This is true, and it's because of indwelling sin. That's our natural disposition. We'll always deal with temptation to sin, and we're going to fail. Through the first 22 years uh, of my life, I did not want God. I did not want Jesus. I wanted control of my life and my choices and my dreams. Near the end of those 22 years, the natural consequences of all that control that I wanted, the choices that I demanded to be mine alone, the dreams that I had for my life, ended me up in jail and then expelled from college. James 1, starting in verse 13, says, Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire when it's conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. We've talked about our need for deliverance, and those three things that our text brought out, death, the devil, slavery, but temptation, a promise. It is just a casual way for Satan, for the devil, to, to get us there. He wants to get us to death. That's what he wants. Don't make any confusion. Don't have any confusion about this. It's what he wants He wants you dead, not glorifying God. So if he cannot kill you, he will get you enslaved, constantly tempted and giving in to that temptation. He wants you isolated. He wants you guilty. He wants you ashamed. If he cannot kill you, this for him is a close second. Mark, please tell me, is there a way in which Jesus fulfilled this need that we have for a faithful high priest who will help us with temptation? So glad you asked. Yes, there is. Verse 4, four, no, excuse me, verse 14, Hebrews 2. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it's not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. He helps his new family. This is what God had planned, our deliverance from a very long time ago. Verse 17, therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus is a faithful high priest because he came in a human form, flesh and blood, and never once sinned was 33 years old, never sinned. Hebrews 4, a couple of pages over, Hebrews 4, 14 says, we have a great high priest. And then on to verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. How are you tempted? 
You know, it may not be the exact same way with the same situation, but Jesus has been tempted conceptually in the same way that you have been. And he said no to those temptations so that he could be here now for us. Verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The Holy Spirit indwells us and helps us. He's called the helper in scripture and he sanctifies us. He makes us holy. He sets us apart for God, rooting out that sin that indwells in us over the course of our lives. And in that, he is also helping us to say yes more and more to Jesus throughout our lives. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. God will not give us more than we can handle temptation-wise. It might seem like too much, but it's not. You are in a fight. We are in a fight we have to go back to our new families. And in that, I encourage you, join a community group. Join a journey group. Invite folks over to your home for a meal in the backyard, at a park, somewhere. Get with your new family. Get to know them. We need deliverance. We need a new family. We need a faithful high priest. And we have all of that now in Christ. But we also need a merciful high priest to help us with forgiveness. Hebrews 2, verse 17. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Jesus is who we need. We need mercy because we deserve punishment for our sin. So is there a way in which Jesus fulfilled this need that we have for a merciful high priest to help us with forgiveness? Yes. Mercy is God not giving us the punishment that we deserve, not directly, but indirectly, as he punished his son Jesus on the cross. He poured out his wrath on Jesus for the punishment of our sins, what they deserve, what they earn. And this is the propitiation that we were talking about earlier. Again, verse uh, 16 of Hebrews 4. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Draw near to the throne of grace. We're halfway through 2023 exploring prayer, and I hope you'll join us in one of the two remaining Second Saturday spiritual retreats, one in July, one in August. Go through your prayer personality. Watch that video that Andy made in the corresponding booklet. We're going to have prayer stations in the fall, so stay tuned. Draw near to the throne of grace. I say this because you're not alone. Now, I know you feel alone. I say this because I know you don't have time for these offers, right? Give up a half a Saturday? Risk bawling my eyes out that whole day? No, thank you. I say this because you're in a fight with yourself, with indwelling sin, with the devil. Maybe with some specific slavery or bondage that you're into, something that you just cannot shake. This is important. And, and I know you may not have any idea how you're going to change. I get it. You're not alone. Jesus is who you need. He is the merciful high priest. He's able to see you through your sin to forgiveness. He's forgiven you. That's why he came. He knows what you're struggling with. I'm in the process of forgiveness with three different people right now. One was an old friend. Uh, I went to them in person to ask for forgiveness for how, how I had wronged them. Uh, I knew a couple of specific 
ways, and I asked for forgiveness for those specifically. But after a very long conversation in which I listened, uh, it was clear that they had, they felt like I had done a lot more harm to them than I understood. Uh, I've been mulling this over for for months, uh, asking the Lord to show me more about it, because he showed me these two things that I needed to go to them for forgiveness for, but he hasn't quite shown me. I haven't gotten my heart and mind around these other things. So I keep going to my merciful high priest, prayerfully, waiting, listening, trusting, in his timing. And then the, the, one of the other three people on my list is no longer alive. It seems like the Lord keeps peeling back the layers of the onion of my heart uh, on this one. When I think I have forgiven them for what I perceived was wrong done uh, to me, God brings something else up. It's been through various situations or events, uh, and I have to dive back in with this prayerful ambiguity of my heart and wrestle through what this person did to me when they were alive, forgiving them again and asking God to show me how I was at fault because, right, we're both sinners in that. So he's showing me. (laughs) It hurts. Uh, I'm thankful. The third person, we're not reconciled, but nevertheless, I must forgive. And I, I no doubt have hurt them. I think it's tangled, very tangled, but I'm sensing from the Lord that he has them. And there's a sense of comfort there. But that J-curve, in each of these relationships, I am dying the death of Jesus Christ and rising with Christ. And it's not one and done, it's a process. And I'm so glad that he's led me in this process. So thanks for listening for a minute. Back to it. All right, you know, you know that my aunt, Marilyn, uh, you know, there's something that she didn't have. Uh, she didn't have any care about what people thought about her. Can you imagine that? No, you cannot. I don't think you can. Uh, I can't. That freedom, what would that be like? She knew if you were kind. She could tell if you were in a bad mood. She knew exactly who to actively trust. Marilyn was perceptive. And I think Marilyn also had a hunch that this life was not all that there is. Uh, I learned that from Marilyn. And Marilyn helped me make some sense of the Apostle Paul's words in Philippians 3, 9 and 10, kind of ring true for me. So I'm going to leave them with you and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Jesus is better. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have indeed sent to earn our salvation because there is just no way we never have we never will we never can but you did you did it with grace you did it with much mercy and love and lord thank you for delivering us and promising that you will continue to deliver us you left us your holy spirit he's rooting around in our hearts and our souls drawing us to you helping us to run from sin. Lord, thank you. We pray now that we would live lives that look more like Christ, less like ourselves, that we would be hopeful as you're bringing these things to bear and loving with those around us for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.